Well, good morning, New Life. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church this morning. We are so glad you are here. I am so glad. I'm so pumped. My name's um, Christy, and I'm the junior high youth pastor here. And our, um, our worship band, our high school worship band, is going to lead us into worship every Wednesday night. They lead between 100 and 150 young people in worship, and so we are so excited, and I'm so very blessed that you guys have the opportunity to um, be led by these guys, because they're awesome and wonderful. Um, if you are new, can you just wave at me if you're new? Just wave. Oh my gosh, there's so, so many new people. I love it. Okay, well, if you're new, um, we'd love to get to know you more, and so out here in our little hallway and out on the patio, we have a little connection center out there. We'd love to give you a gift and get to know you more and um, see how you wanna be more connected here at New Life. Um, okay, so if everyone go ahead and stand for me. And I hope everyone had a good spring break. If anybody was on spring break and ready to go back to work and school tomorrow. Um, all right, I'm just gonna pray for us. Um, God, we just thank you so much for today, God. We just ask that we just come into this place and this space uh, ready and expecting for what you want to do in our lives, expecting to hear your voice, expecting to, um, to just enter into your presence. Holy Spirit, we love you. And we just ask that you come, you fill this, fill this space. God, fill our lives. We love you, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen.
Last week we celebrated Resurrection Sunday. And if you were here, Pastor David talked about the behavior of Jesus' followers when Jesus was in the tomb. He talked about how even though they, Jesus told them that he was gonna die and he was gonna raise again, even though they knew and he told them they still didn't believe. And they were scared and they were fearful and they were discouraged. And they felt like everything that they had done was, it, it, it just didn't mean anything. And, and I often like to put myself in, in the shoes. I often like to put myself in, in the Bible story and be like, Christy, what would you have done? Would you, and I, I hope, I hope I would have, I would have had a lawn chair and I would have been outside the tomb and I would have had my cup of coffee and I would have been waiting, expecting that he would have come out. I, I would have been waiting. That, that's how I would have, I would have wanted to, to have my faith. That's where I would have wanted to be posturing my heart. And we're getting ready to sing a song. And, and the lyrics in the song is pretty much from the book of Revelation. And I just want to encourage you, church, that, that we as a church can, can decide how we want to wait for the second coming of Jesus. We as a church can decide how we want to be found when Jesus comes back. And do we want to be waiting with joy? Do we want to be waiting in prayer? Do we want to be waiting, expecting to see Jesus face to face? And we're getting ready to sing this song. And I'm going to read this over you. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, this is in Revelation 21.3. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Holy Spirit, we ask that as new life, we will wait expecting for you, God. We will wait with faith. We will wait in joy, expecting for your coming, expecting to see you face to face. We love you, Jesus. Amen.
So, Father, we just, we bless you, God. We thank you, Lord, that you are coming back again. Lord, help your church to, uh, help your church to be ready. Help us, Lord, to be found loving our enemies. Lord, help us be found loving our neighbors. Lord, help us to be found loving you. God, help us to be found full of faith. Church right now, just begin to just just talk to him right now. Just just pray and talk to him right now because he is he is amongst us right now. Church, put your thoughts on him right now. Put your thoughts on one day the sky's going to crack open in the east and he's going to come back in glory. He's going to come back and deal with evil. He's going to come back and deal with the God of this world who is Satan himself, who has blinded the minds of those who do not believe yet. He's going to come back and deal with that. So, Father, we thank you that you are in control. Oh, we thank you, Lord, that you, Father, you are the only one that knows when you're going to send the Son. And so, Lord, as we wait for your second coming, as we wait for your arrival back on the earth, as we wait, Lord, I pray that you would make us like John the Baptist, Lord, and prepare the way for you. That we would not wait till the Christmas season and Advent to but God, we would start living this stuff out. We would start proclaiming your goodness to the nations, to our community, Lord, because it is your goodness that draws people to repentance. And so, Lord, thank you that you are not being slow in your return like some people think, but you are being patient so that all people could come to the knowledge of who you are. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open eyes to see the truth of who Jesus really is. So we submit to your plan and your ways, Father. We come under your lordship. We come under your authority. And we say thank you that you are in control, that we don't have to 
micromanage you, God. We don't have to do this or do that to earn or earn your love or earn your affection or, or get your attention. All we have to do is be found in your son, Jesus. And so help us to live a life worthy of the gospel. Give us faith, Lord, to pray for the sick. Give us faith, Lord, to speak to our unbelieving family members. Give us faith, Lord, to be a good representation of the name of Jesus at work. And so we thank you, Lord. Church, say, I thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your love towards us. And we pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. If you love God, say amen. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated in here. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward as well as we receive our tithes and offerings this morning. Church, because of your generosity, um, we get to see things happen in our community. We get to see things at the schools because of your generosity. And so we are seeing students who don't come to church normally have an opportunity to come to a Wednesday night gathering because of your generosity. And because of that, kids are getting, getting uh, saved. They're giving their life to Jesus. They're, getting, they're, they're wanting to get baptized. They're, <laughs> they're not wanting correction yet, but they are, they, are, they are coming. And so it's not really about their coming here. It's a matter of that they're coming to the Lord. And because of your generosity financially, that can happen, but also your generosity in your prayers. Please be praying for Gen Z as they come into the family of God, as they come into spiritual things, because there is an attack happening on their, on their minds, on their hearts. And we need praying, we need a praying church for this generation. And so because of your generosity, there is, there is things like, a kid named Joe Beach who is calling me saying, hey, how can we, how can we pray for our, my peers? How can we go after those who are the most influential at the school? Because if they get it, I believe that the rest of the students will fall in suit. And so I'm like, Joe Beach, this is your youth ministry, man. You are praying for this. And so as I share that story, there are students that are taking this faith seriously. And they are going after their generation like David did, King David did. And so be praying for the students in the school system right now, that they come to know the Lord and that God will use them to bring about revival and change. Not, not just use us as adults, but use them. And so I love that. And so with that being said, uh, that makes me think about like Monday nights, what's been happening on Monday nights. Monday nights has been, uh, we, we've been having this thing called prayer and worship times here in this room every Monday at 6 o'clock. And it has been a, a great time of getting together as the body. I'm, let me stand up, my bad. Getting together as the, as the body of believers and coming without a program, without an agenda, and just kind of coming together and singing to Jesus and worshiping him and praying for one another and coming to the altars and giving out um, our requests, making them known to God. And so we've been on a break for two weeks, but tomorrow we start back uh, prayer and worship in this room at six o'clock. And so I know there's going to be like another like six weeks of this. Um, and so 
I wanted to give you some dates real quick. Tomorrow we, we start back, and then there's, or there's two weeks of us in here, and then the, the first um, Monday of May, January, March, April, May, May, um, May 1st, actually, I think it is, we, will, we are not going to gather together in this room, but we're going to ask and invite you to gather in your homes, invite people to your homes to worship and pray. Because the, the, the church, when Jesus went back into heaven, it says in the Acts chapter 2 that the church gathered daily in, in homes to have meals together and, and to look at the teachings and pray with, for one another and also take care of each other's needs. And so I want to invite you on May 1st. I know it's two weeks away. We're not going to remember this. We will remind you. But uh, to, to, to not come here but gather in your homes because we want to see this stuff happen in our homes as well, in our neighborhoods. We want God's glory, God's presence to, to not just be here at the church, but also where we go and in our neighborhoods so that it will affect our community and our neighborhoods. And so prayer and worship nights are happening tomorrow. I want to invite you to come. It's not supposed to be raining, so you have no excuse. All right? So with that being said, uh, I do want to encourage you to get out your Bibles right now. Because I believe, I believe that the Spirit of God still wants to speak to his people today. David, do you believe it? That, that Spirit still wants to speak to us today. And so prepare your hearts for whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do and wants to say through Pastor David. And so bless this man in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 It is so good. It is so good to gather with God's people, to be a part of a community where everybody is called to utilize the gifts that God has given them and to step into the calling that God has for them. And so when I look at the students up here, I'm just reminded of, of the fact that again, and you know, I know that many of you have heard me say this before, they are not the church of tomorrow. This is so key. They are not the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today. Just like no matter what age you are, you are the church of today. You're not waiting around to step into what God has called you to do. You are just taking the next step into that calling, whatever stage, whatever life stage you're in, whatever age you are, you're taking the next step into that. Amen? If you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to the book of John, John chapter 21. As you do that, want to let you know about something that we did last year and we are going to do again this year. Um, one of the things that we learned as we talked, you know, if, if you're not aware of this, one of the ways that we do ministry in our local community is we ask what the needs are. Too often, people assume what the needs are. And what we like to do is we like to go and we say, hey, what are the needs that you have? And so we went to um, Arroyo Grande High School and we said, what are the needs that your teachers might have during teacher appreciation? Um, and, and they began to share with us that, that unfortunately, like, like when your kids are in kindergarten and they're in like second and third grade, uh, and, and thank you elementary teachers, we're not, this is awesome, but um, you're more likely to get appreciated. When you get to high school, people are like, oh, man, you just deal with it, right? Like, like, like it's kind of like this, this mentality, hey, you just got to put up with whatever you got. Like, you decided to do the high school agers, then you knew what you were getting into. And so, and no offense, high schoolers, that sounded way worse than what I meant it to. But... <laughs> But, but here's the deal. Like, we wanted to appreciate, because they don't always get the appreciation. We wanted to appreciate the, the teachers, and, and not only the teachers, but the administration, and not just the administration, but anybody who works at um, Arroyo Grande High School, uh, what, from buildings and facilities all the way to the principal and everybody in between. And we wanted to appreciate those individuals. And so one of the ways that we do that is we serve them breakfast, and we have this opportunity. One way that you can participate 
in that appreciation is that you can bring a gift card here. Um, we're praying for, again, about 200 gift cards. You would, have, you would have thought, like, again, $10 gift card. We were able to give to everybody who came through that breakfast line uh, a, a coffee, um, you know, something to Dutch Bros, because, you know, coffee and caffeine and Dutch Bros and caffeine, when you're teaching high school, you need lots of caffeine. So, so something like that, um, something, you know, something small, but just a gift card. If you want to bring that in, you can drop it off at one of the Connection Centrals, and by doing that, that will get in the hands of one of our teachers, and you have no idea what just simple breakfast gift card and saying thank you does to our teachers and how it just encourages them and lets them know you are seen, all right? You are seen. And so that's what we wanna do. This, um, starting next week, we will be launching into a series called Beautiful Disruption, and you will be hearing about more and more opportunities for you to listen to the Spirit and to step into a moment where you can be partnering with God and be that beautiful disruption in our community where people will look at you and they will go, why would you do this? And then guess what? We get to give an account for what Christ has done in us and that we're not just individuals who are doing something kind. We're, we're living into these beautiful disruptions because of what Jesus has done in us and how he has empowered us. Amen? All right. So last week, it was kind of a big deal, right? We, we celebrated Easter and, and, and the resurrection, and we, we do that, in case you didn't know, every year. And, uh, and, but, but actually, here's one of the interesting things. Last week, we gathered together, and we focused on the fact that the tomb is empty. Say amen. amen. We focused on the fact that Christ has conquered death and sin. Say amen. amen. We gather together and celebrate that Jesus is alive. I want a hearty amen this time. So that is all really, really good stuff. That's all really, really good stuff. But here's the deal. We do that, and what we don't realize is that, did you know that Easter is a season? It's not just a day. In fact, you could also talk about the fact that every single Sunday when we gather, we celebrate the resurrection. But very specifically, when, you, when we celebrate Easter, we enter into a celebratory season. See, this is important because, uh, you know, when we begin to participate in the season of Lent, we remind ourselves of the suffering of Christ, and we, and we kind of lean into that. And I don't want you to think that Easter's just in a day. Lent is a long season, right? Easter is a long season, and it leads to Pentecost, which is the coming of the Holy Spirit. So beginning next week, as we lean into the, our focus on the Holy Spirit and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, we want to remind ourselves that Easter is not just a day, that it's a season of celebration. And quite honestly, it is much easier to celebrate an event than it is to celebrate a season, it is difficult to celebrate a season because on the second or third day of that celebration, you're like, I'm tired, right? Like, like, I'm not sure I can, you know, get all the energy up to keep on celebrating. And I want to encourage you, it's not just about emotion. It's about recognizing, as, as uh, Pastor Christie said, like, it's about recognizing the joy of the Lord that we get to celebrate. It's about walking in that victory of the resurrection. It's about reminding us of who Jesus is and what he has done. Because our tendency can be, all right, Jesus, the tomb is empty. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He has victory over sin and death. And then we ask this, so what? 
Like beyond celebration, so what? Like that sounds really harsh, David. But really, like I would suggest that maybe some of us actually, we wouldn't say that, but we live that. Like we wouldn't say so what, we wouldn't someone be like, Jesus is alive, so what? But we live in such a way that would say, so what? What does it really matter that Jesus is alive? What does it really matter that the tomb is empty? What does it really matter that sin and death are conquered and that you can have victory? So what? And what we're really saying when we live into that type of question is, is there really a personal God? Like, can I have a real encounter with Jesus? Am I able to have a connection with God? Or, or what does it actually mean for me? Like, what does it mean that Jesus is alive? How does this relate to me? How do I understand this? And we know this to be true because everyone is looking for a narrative to make sense of their life. Every single person is looking for a narrative to make sense of their life. Every single person is asking themselves, so what? What does it mean to believe in something? What does it mean to believe in something that that when my loved one passes away, that it actually, I'm anchored to a narrative and I'm anchored to an understanding and a purpose and a reality that helps me navigate that loss. And that's exactly what the early church was even dealing with. See, we think things are so different, but it actually isn't. Ancient people were no different. They were asking themselves, how do I anchor myself to a narrative? How do I anchor myself to an understanding that helps me deal with the pain and suffering in this world? How do I anchor myself to a narrative? How do I anchor myself to an understanding that helps me deal with the fact that I I am leaning towards bitterness, but I know that I want to forgive? How do I anchor myself to an understanding? How do I anchor myself to a narrative that helps me wrestle with the fact that that I loved somebody and I cared about them and they walked out on me? Like, what does it look like to, to step into a reality, to have a foundation that says, you know what? There is a story and there is a narrative and there is implications. Turn to somebody next to you and say implications. There are implications to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In fact, one one person says it this way. What would happen if we took seriously the implications of Jesus' life? What would happen if we took seriously the implications of Jesus' death? What would happen if we took seriously the implications of Jesus's resurrection and the fact that Jesus is alive. And so last week we talked about how Jesus values personal encounters over proclamation. And the reason is, is because Jesus wants us to wrestle with the implications of his life, death, and resurrection, not just sing about it, not just talk about it, not just hear about it, but that's difficult to quantify, right? Have you ever talked to somebody and they're like, why do you believe in this Jesus thing? And you begin with proclamation, like I believe, and you have like a bullet point list of why you believe in Jesus. And the reality is, as you get through that list, it's really hard for you to quantify why you believe in Jesus, right? It's the same thing. Like if you would come to me and you would say, hey, why do you, why do you love Dana as your wife? And I would say, well, 
she's funny and she would be so appreciative that I said that she was funny. Like she would really love that. And, and that she's super kind and, and she thinks of others way more than I think of others. Like she, she, she's like the Holy Spirit sometimes in my ear, right? Like, like there's so many things that I love about her. But, but then you could come back and say, okay, so if you found someone that was more funny, if you, if you found someone that was even more kind than she is, more compassionate than she is, then you would logically have to love that person more than you love Dana. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not how this works. There's something I can't quantify because we have this encounter and relationship that I can't put into a neat box. And that's what becomes difficult about Understanding our relationship with Jesus is it's not this proclamation of a bullet point list just about who Jesus is. It's that you've encountered him. That you have had an encounter with God and that encounter with God has actually shaped you. And, and what I would suggest is that there's implications from that encounter. And I wanna encourage us as a church, not just as individuals, but as the body of Christ say, we have encountered the risen Jesus. What does that mean? What does it mean? What does it mean to have an encounter with Jesus? How does that change things? So. John chapter 21, verses one through 14. We read these words. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. Some translations might have the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, sea of Tiberias is named after the emperor Tiberius. Uh, he had a home along that sea, so that's why it was called that, or the Sea of Galilee. Both, uh, it's the same place, depending on what your translation is. This is how it happened. I love that. It's a reminder that what is written down is a, is a testimony of what happened. It was, it, it's not like, hey, this is how it may have happened. No, this is what the eyewitnesses have said, that th how this took place. This is how it happened. Several of his disciples, several of Jesus' disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. I'd feel kind of slighted if I was just one of the two others, right? Everybody else got named. But we read through that, and we're like, oh, that's cool, these people were there. But, but we don't get it. These people had had an encounter with Jesus. And because they had had an encounter with Jesus, they were a new community. And we don't realize that just in the naming of who was there and who was Jesus' disciples, how radical this new community was. Because this new community broke through the prejudice and the preferences of that day. This new community broke through. I want you to hear this. This new community broke through the prejudices and the preferences of that day because even though that these are the individuals that were mentioned, there were also other individuals that were likely there, like the women who were at the tomb. And so you had these gathering of disciples and followers of Jesus who have gathered together and they are representing a new community that is so radically different than the community community that everybody understood, the social order that everybody understood, the way you interacted that everybody thought this is how things were. 
let me give you an example of the social order of the day. There was a saying that rabbis would say. Now, rabbis, religious leaders. So think about it for a moment. If a religious leader speaks like this, guess what the general culture is like within that community? The rabbi saying went like this. Thank God I am not a Gentile. Thank God I am not a dog. So guess what we're equating now? Thank God I am not a woman. Your rabbis, religious leaders of the day, represented a culture where prejudice and preference was deeply ingrained in it. And this new community had women as the first witnesses of their resurrection. This new community had Simon the Zealot. You ever had that, or maybe this is you, have you ever had that person in your family that can't stop talking about politics? You're like, yep, that's me. <laughs> Some of you are getting elbowed right now. I apologize. <laughs> Simon the Zealot. I mean, that, you ever had that person that, that everything like goes back to just the political ramifications of everything? That was this person, Matthew, the Jew who had kind of linked himself with the Roman Empire and become a tax collector. Nobody liked Matthew. Really, we gotta have that guy in our community? Simon, Andrew, James, and John, fishermen. The uneducated, hardworking, but uneducated individuals of the group. Nathaniel, who it's, Reference very little is known about Nathaniel, but it's referenced that he had extreme integrity and was likely, from other historical documents, a businessman. So you had the uneducated fisherman and the educated one. And Thomas, the skeptic, or the Eeyore of the group, <laughs> right? the one that's always seeing the glass half empty. And so you have this community of individuals that quite honestly should not have been together based on the prejudices of the day and the preferences of the day. This community should not have happened. And yet, because of what Christ had done in them and because of who they gathered around in terms of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, this new community was established. And so the implications of the resurrection, the implications of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, one of the implications is this new community. And so let me ask you, church, is the implications of the fact that we celebrated Jesus' resurrection last week, is one of the implications when people look at New Life Church, is one of the implications this, that the prejudices and preferences they see in our cultures are not represented at New Life Church. 
Like the, the prejudices that, and preferences of, of our, that we see in our culture, like they say, this shouldn't work. Generations, young people and older people, for whatever reason, don't see eye to eye in our culture, right? This happens. Sit around the table. All of a sudden you come and you gather around the person of Jesus and you have a humility about you that we see an older generation celebrating when a younger generation is leading in worship. That we see a younger generation having humility and listening to the older generation saying, what can I learn? How can I follow Jesus? Not just for five years or 10 years. How can I follow Jesus for 50 or 60 years? What does it look like to do that? What does it look like to be faithful in that? What does it look like to gather around, not gather around or become a group because of our prejudices or our preferences? See, Simon could have just gathered with other zealots and been just fine. Fishermen could have gathered with other fishermen and just been just fine. Business people could have gathered with other business people and been just fine. But it doesn't require the Holy Spirit to do that. They gathered around the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the implications of what Jesus had done in their lives. Verse three, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Sounds like a pretty good thing to do, right? He says, I'm going fishing. We'll come too. They all said. So they went out in the boat. But they caught nothing all night. Now, you just went from watching blind men get healed. You went from watching lame people walk. Lepers' skin go from leprosy to being clean. You went from being seeing some of the most miraculous things ever. Have you ever found yourselves faltering after seeing something miraculous? Or let me say it this way. Have you ever had a counter with Jesus on Sunday and on Monday you're like, why am I still failing? Why am I still faltering in this particular area? I, I had this encounter with Jesus. I experienced his power. But why am I still faltering in this moment? And we have to recognize that walking with Jesus requires daily faithfulness, not just these one-time events. And so here you have these individuals that had this, these incredible events happen with Jesus, and then they find themselves going back to the mundane. And my question is, in the mundane, while you wait, what are you doing? And it's interesting to me that these individuals, instead of going about the ministry of Jesus, the, the things that Jesus had taught them for the last several years, what do they go back to? They go back to fishing. It's as if they forgot everything that Jesus had taught them. As if they were like, you know what? Jesus isn't here anymore, so let's just go back to doing what we did before Jesus had impacted our life. And let me ask you this. When you find yourself in a, in a season of the mundane, do you default back to 
whatever your plan B was. When you find yourself in a dry season, a desert season, when you find yourself and Jesus's voice isn't quite as clear and he doesn't feel quite as close as what he did at once, at one point, do you find yourself going to plan B and be like, all right, I'll just go back to what I always did before? Some of us are like, well, yeah, but it's hard. You know, one could make the argument that, that one of the things that Peter's doing in this moment is like, hey, I need to take control of the situation, right? I need to, I need to figure out how to do something. We, we got needs. We gotta put food on the table. We're not traveling and following Jesus anymore. We gotta go back and we gotta start providing for the families again. We gotta start doing just normal stuff again so you can make kind of the excuse that all of a sudden, this is, this is what he should have done. But earlier on in chapter 20, Jesus gives them a commission. He calls them. He calls them to go wait on the coming of the Holy Spirit. And what's fascinating to me is in 21, before we get the coming of the Holy Spirit in John's telling of the gospel, we get a depiction of what it looks like to live life in your own power and on your own timeline and in your own ways and with your own agenda. This is what it looks like. You catch nothing. The nets are empty when Jesus is not a part of it. And I'm not talking health and wealth gospel. I'm talking about just life and life to its fullest. The nets will always be empty. In fact, when I was reading through this passage, I was taken back to Zechariah chapter four where, where, they're, re, where they're rebuilding the, the, the temple and, and you have Zerubbabel who's, who's having a difficult time of pressing in and finishing what's going on. In chapter four, verse six, he's reminded as he wakes up groggy and, give, and he's given a vision and he's reminded of this, that it's not by might nor by power, but by the... Spirit of the Lord. By the Spirit, you will do these things. It's not by might, not by your own strength, not by power. It's actually uh, maybe a better translation, not by might, not by your own resources. Is that a word for us? Not by your 401k, not by your bank account, not by your house, not by your job, not by your talents, not by the things that you think are important. It's not by might nor by power, but by the, say it again, spirit. spirit. Where are you laboring? Where are you laboring? You know that Jesus had lived, that he died and is raised from the dead, but where are you laboring in your own strength and power, and your nets are empty. What relationship are you laboring in? And you're saying, I mean, if I could just be this, if I could just be that, if I could, rather than walking in step with the Spirit, what path, what purpose, what, what idea, what gift has God given you? What, what direction in college are you just laboring in? And you're like, but my, my nets are empty. I've gone to school for four years and my nets are empty. In more ways than one. Where are you laboring? When God has invited you to walk in step 
with the Spirit. Verse 4, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. It's interesting. There's this, this perspective that the author wants us to get. Jesus has a different perspective on the beach than what they have in the boat. Sometimes we're so close to whatever it is we're laboring in, we can't see that we're working in our own power. And we need somebody else to come along and have a different perspective for us. And so at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And then Jesus said, throw out your net on the right-hand side, right side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. So they went from miracles to struggling to do things on their own, and then they listened to somebody that they're not even sure who they actually are. Do you know that sometimes that we, that we sense or we think we sense the Holy Spirit or we think we sense what the Lord is leading us, but we don't fully understand that it was the Lord until after the fact? Have you ever looked in hindsight and said, oh, oh, wow. I was so stubborn. I was so bullheaded, but the Lord was faithful there and the Lord was faithful there and the Lord was faithful there and the Lord was faithful there. I didn't even realize it was the Lord guiding me the entire time. And then this, ain't nobody, and you are lying if you say it doesn't bother you. If something is not working and somebody comes up behind you and says, have you ever thought about doing it this way? They've been laboring all night. The nets are empty. And some dude on the shore says, throw it to the other side. Mind you mind your own business, right? I got this. I'll labor for another night before I listen to you. We like to try to fix things on our own. And then I find this interesting. Jesus shows up in post-resurrection in just ordinary places. If you go back through the gospels, go, go look at how the disciples found Jesus. They, were always, they always went to where he was. They kind of knew like, oh, Jesus, yeah, he's praying again. Let's go find him, he's praying. Oh, Jesus, over, oh yeah, let's go find him, he's over here. Oh, Jesus, you're gonna wait at the well, we'll come back for you. Oh, Jesus, you're at the well, you're talking to this person, what's going on? They were always able to find, post-resurrection, they are, they are not able to find Jesus, but Jesus shows up which should tell us something about what it looks like to live in the post-resurrection, that it's not us going and finding Jesus, but it's us being, hey, Jesus, where are you, where are you? Are you at work? And where can I join you in what you're doing? Where's Jesus gonna show up? And so often what happens is that Jesus shows up and he hijacks our plans. Because in this new community, we are led by the Spirit. The other thing that we need to notice is that Jesus is showing up in ordinary spaces. Jesus is showing up not just in the temple and not just when you pray. Can I tell you something, church? Jesus is gonna show up in the grocery store with you, in the restaurant with you, in your schoolroom with you, 
in your car with you. Jesus is going to show up while you're brushing your teeth. Jesus is gonna show up while you're in the bathroom. Some of you are like, oh, I didn't know that was okay. (laughs) Some of you are just like, well, my phone's always in the bathroom with me. Go in the bathroom without your phone and just listen. Jesus will show up. Why? Because of the implications of the resurrection and the sending of the spirit, which means that wherever God's people are, guess what? His spirit can be there. Verse seven, the disciple Jesus loved, I love that because John's writing it and he's the one that Jesus loved. He's like, hey, those other two people that I didn't mention, uh, don't worry about it. But the disciple that Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work and jumped into the water and headed to shore. The other stayed with the, stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore for they were only about a hundred yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Turn to somebody near you and say, it's the Lord. Another implication of post-resurrection. You have individuals that declare Jesus is Lord. He's not just a teacher anymore. He's not just a rabbi, not just somebody that they're following, not just a potential prophet. He is the Lord. And so if you have said, I am going to follow Jesus, then the next words are out of your mouth should be your Lord. You are Lord. Now, here's the difference. Some of you are like, hey, I thought that there was a very similar story. There actually is. In Luke chapter 5, it's very similar as John chapter 21. But in Luke, the response of Simon Peter is this. Get away from me, Lord. Get away from me. I am a sinful man. That is his response. Shame. Get away from me. I'm a sinful man. And John, Peter, like, I put my jacket on, I'm jumping in the water, I am swimming laps, which was in complete embarrassment for him. In Jewish culture, you don't hurry anywhere. The reason you don't hurry is because when you hurry, it's actually, if you're familiar with the story of the prodigal son, some of the same implications are there. When you hurry, it says your affairs are not in order, that your life is chaotic, and everybody knows it. So even if your life is chaotic, you walk around like you got everything together. And Peter's like, I don't care. That's my Lord. I'm jumping in the water. I'm swimming. I'm doing everything that I can to be a part. Peter abandons his human pride in order to praise, in order to celebrate who Jesus is. He looked like a fool for the sake of Christ. A fool for the sake, what's your response to the Lord? When someone says it's the Lord, what's your response? How do you respond to the Lord? Verse 10, bring some fish, bring some of the fish, you, some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. And so Simon Peter went, uh, went um, aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet 
the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This, this was the third time Jesus had appeared to the, his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Come have some breakfast. Context. Peter had, if you're not aware, Peter had denied Jesus three times. Food and mealtime was, was a sign of relationship. Jesus makes breakfast for Peter and he invites him to come and have fellowship with him after he had denied Jesus three times. It's a powerful picture of what the post-resurrection community is gonna look like, one that is identified by forgiveness and mercy and grace. They bring 153 fish, large fish, onto shore. Jesus already has food cooking. Something beautiful about that. Jesus saying, I don't need your fish. I don't need your fish. I want you, I want you to participate with me. So I'm gonna bring you the meal and then I want you to bring what you can. In this post-resurrection community, Jesus invites and has generous forgiveness and invites us to participate with him in what he is doing. I would have loved to have been Jesus. I would have been like, hey, I got some food here. Peter, you got anything to say? <laughs> right? Yo, Pete. I'm sorry. <laughs> right? That's not how Jesus operates. Creates a table. Later on in the passage, he says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. He's reminding Peter, not only of his forgiveness, but that he has, even in his failure, he, he can step back into his calling. Where Jesus had said, upon faith like yours, Peter, I will build my church. There is full restoration. There is grace. There is mercy in this post Resurrection community. And I think I resonate so much with this because I think my love language would have been to make breakfast also. I'm not good with kind of one-on-one apologies. I'm like, hey, can I just make you breakfast and we can just call it like, you know, good? Like, and I would have made a great breakfast. Like, Biscuits and gravy and eggs and bacon, because, you know, it's New Testament now, so. <laughs> like, I mean, can you imagine that for the very first time, taking bacon and be like, oh, what have we been missing out on? <laughs> Praise the Lord. 
But you, you, have this, you have this beautiful picture of what Christ has done for us and the implications of the cross and the empty tomb. You have this beautiful picture of a community that is no longer defined by their preferences and prejudices, but is defined by what Christ has done in them. You have this beautiful community that no longer is listening to the voices of this world, but is walking in step with the Spirit. And you have this beautiful community that no longer is defined by, you hit me, I hit you back. You do this, you do but is defined by mercy and grace and forgiveness. Church, when the world looks at us, do they see us as people who just celebrate an event once a year? Or do they see us as a community that lives out the implications of the resurrection? I want you to bow your head and close your eyes, not because it's more spiritual, because sometimes we get distracted. And I want you to spend a couple moments, I'm gonna read you some questions and I just want you to reflect for a moment. Too often, you know, we stand up and I give you the benediction and you leave and you go eat and you never think about what are the implications? What are the, what are the implications for what has been spoken? Here's the first thing that I want you to think about. Your failures can't separate you from God's love. Just let that soak in for a moment. Your failures can't separate you from God's love. Your failures. Oh, but, but, but you don't know. Your failures can't separate you from God's love. What does it look like to live life knowing that God radically and deeply loves you, that you are forgiven, that his mercies are new every morning. What does it look like to live life based on those implications? What does it look like to live life based on the fact that Christ has forgiven you of your sin, that he laid down his life, that he paid the sacrifice for your sin? Second thought, what have you been trying to do on your own? Where are your nets empty? And what relationship are the nets empty? Because you've been trying to just be the best spouse that you can be, but the nets are empty. You've been trying to grind away at your future, but the nets are empty. You've been trying to figure something out, but the nets are empty. What have you been trying to do on your own? And then let me ask you this. How do you, in this moment, invite the power of the Spirit into that situation? The wisdom of the Spirit into that situation. Three, what would it look like to accept Jesus' invitation to breakfast? Maybe for you, it's for the very first time that you would sit down and have fellowship with Jesus, an encounter with Jesus, 
that you wouldn't just know about Jesus, but that you would begin to know him and talk with him and walk and sense the leading of his spirit. And for others, what does it look like to create space to have fellowship with Jesus? Because your schedule's so busy. And you said that you were following him, but you haven't actually had fellowship with him in a really long time. So God, in these moments of reflection, I pray that they would lead to action. In these moments of reflection, that we would move from a mindset of shame to a mindset that we are your beloved. From a mindset that sin controls us to a mindset that, God, we respond to your love and we allow you to begin to order our steps and give us the victory. God, I pray that in this reflection, we start to think, God, how can I invite you in your wisdom and your power into that situation where I have been trying to do everything on my own? And maybe it's writing yourself a reminder and putting it on a mirror and saying, today, I will not do that in my own power. I will do it by the Spirit. I will listen to your spirit. I will lean into your spirit. I will walk with your spirit. And Jesus, I want to have fellowship with you. I don't want to just know about you. I don't want to just speak words of proclamations. I want to have encounters with you. Teach me how to have breakfast with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? You might be new, you might be, have been here for a long time, every single Sunday, I want to encourage you to begin asking yourself before you leave this question. Do I need to participate in the ministry time after service? Do I need to be prayed for? Do I need to be encouraged? Do I need a next step? Do I need someone to talk to about how to continue to follow Jesus? See, it's again, it's really easy to come up and go, check, I was at church and leave. But the moment you walk out, your door, out these doors, your mind goes to, okay, brunch or what we have going on in the day or whatever. Consider taking a breath after I give you the, give you the benediction, benediction, take a breath and ask yourself, God, is there more that you wanna say to me today? And if there is, we always have a ministry team down here at the front that wants to pray over you, encourage you, talk to you about how you can follow Jesus or take your next step in following Jesus. As you go today, may you go not as those who just proclaim the resurrection, but those who live out the implications of the resurrection. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Grace and peace to you. We'll see you next week.